All right, so quick introduction, uh, Psalm 28. We'll spend the majority of our time there really looking at kind of directing our prayers to the Lord and focusing on the Lord in prayer and some elements of prayer. And then in chapter 29, Psalm 29, we're going to see is the Lord has all the power. We're just going to be reminded of the fact that the Lord has all the power, that he's the boss. And, and so that's kind of where we're going. More time in 28, a little bit of time in 29, and then we'll sing and let you guys go. All right, so Psalm 28, Psalm of David. Let me read through it. And then we'll work our way through this chapter. Psalm of David. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song, I will praise him. The Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Now, it's interesting as, you know, seeking to teach through the book of Psalms, it's the, the Psalms for me is the kind of, I would say, the most changeable book. And this is what I mean by that is how you read the different Psalms depends on where you are in that moment. Right. If you're happy or if you're sad, if you're going through times of triumph or times of suffering. And, and so it's interesting. So as I move through the Psalms, I realize I'm not giving you kind of every little detail and everything that's going on, because I'm really going to share from it kind of where I am right now. And hopefully the Lord will use that to minister to you. And so there's going to be some things kind of coming out of my own life. And I'm hope I hope that's a template for you as you come to the Psalms, as you come to the word of God, that you let it hit you where you are. That where you are in life, it doesn't just become this thing of like, well, I understand what that word means and I understand what that word means and I understand what that word means. And here's a historical context. All those things are good, but you can leave those where it doesn't really impact you. What ends up happening is you come to the word of God just to reinforce your kind of intellectual capacity to understand the word of God instead of it being a sword that pierces your heart. Instead of it being a living word from God in that moment. And that's what my hope is. Now, my hope is somehow in all my faults and failures that somehow the living word of God would speak to you in this moment and, and meet you where you are. And, and so when to start off with this first verse, he says, David says, to you, I will cry. Now, what I want you to notice, first of all, is the direction of David's prayer. David says, to you, I will cry. And that's really important. Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time, what can happen is you begin to wander in prayer, right? It can be kind of the thing, well, well, I have to pray, right? And so I have to pray as a good Christian. And so I'm just going to kind of start rambling. And before you know it, you've said Father 1,500 times (laughs) in one prayer, right? And, And so the fact is what we see here is David is consciously directing his prayer to the Lord. He's consciously thinking about that. And so I want you to do an exercise today. You don't have to let the other person know that you're doing this. I want you to sit down and maybe sometime this week, maybe today's not a good day because everybody you know is in this room. Uh, but, But sometime during this week, I want you to sit down and I want you to have a conversation with the person and I want you to direct all your attention to them. I want you to put away your phone. 
I want you to not think about where you're going to lunch or any of those things. I just want you to tune into that person. And, and nothing exists but that person. And then I want you to kind of use as a training exercise for the next time you spend time with the Lord. Is that no, no one else exists. No one else is around. There's no responsibilities. There's nothing. It's just me and the Lord. I'm going to direct my prayer to you. And then I think what you're going to see for you and for me as we do this, it's going to change our interaction with him. It's going to be very, very different. So that's what David is doing. And so I, I look at this directing his prayer to the Lord. I think about, you know, back in the day when I was young and gas prices were much different. <laughs> you could drive around aimlessly. You know, in my hometown, it was, it was pretty silly. The county park was where people would cruise. Uh, they would go down to the county park and there's this kind of loop around the county park and people would be out be playing basketball and people have their nice cars and, and they're just aimlessly driving around town. And now with gas prices the way they are, we're, we're not to do that anymore. <laughs> no aimless driving. And, and so think about the ways that you've, drived, you've driven aimlessly in the past and then think about the times where you have had a specific destination in life. And, and you're like, I got to get to this place at a certain time and I'm following these directions and there's no messing around and, and I may or may not bend the speed limit uh, that, that I need to get there. Think about praying like that. Think about praying directed toward God, zoned in on God, thinking about him, not aimlessly, but in a directed manner. And then he says, to you, I will cry. I love this. He doesn't say to you, I will sit down and have a business meeting. To you, I will sit down and share my agenda with you. No, no, he says to you, I will cry. You cry out to someone who's your superior. We're gonna hit on that later. You, you cry out to someone that you need help from. You cry out to someone who can aid you in times of difficulty or distress or hardship. That's what he's doing. He's crying out to the Lord. That's, that's the imagery of a child crying out to a father. And then he notices, he says, to you, I will cry, O Lord, my rock. So David has some understanding of who God is. And that's really important. If we're to have a directed prayer life, we need to know who we're directed toward. I, maybe this is a pet peeve for you, maybe not. I, I dislike when people call me on the phone and they call me by name and they don't know me. Steven. I was like, is this my mom? Only my mom calls me Steven. <laughs> uh, they, they act like they know you, but they don't. Okay? For you and I, if we don't study the word of God, if we don't spend time in God's presence, then what happens in prayer, we're acting like we know him, but we really don't. So David had experiences with the Lord. David had ups and downs with the Lord. David had areas where he had obeyed and areas where he had disobeyed. So he knew who the Lord was. And so he knew that the Lord was his rock. I would encourage you and me to study God, to get to know him relationally. And then when we pray, it's going to be different because it's not going to be, this is something I do. This is the outflow of my life now. And I know who I'm talking to. And so he calls the Lord his rock. What does a rock speak of? It speaks of permanence, of reliability, of thereness. Brandy and I had the opportunity last Sunday to, to go hiking a little bit. And there were these huge rocks. It was in the Austin area and there's these rocks and this river that we went by. And, and there's this one, a couple of huge rocks that we stepped up on, you know, the banks of this river. And you just think about trying to push that rock. You can't push that rock. And if you've ever run into a rock, you know that it's there. <laughs> there's a thereness to that rock. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, but in my own life, even though, though God is not a physical rock, He's real. There's a thereness to him. And if you walk in disobedience to him and he's, he's gracious and he'll remind you of, hey, I need, this needs to change and this needs to be different. Yeah, 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 I got it. I got it, I got it. You know, then uh, suddenly you run into the rock and it hurts, but it's good because it says in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, that God chastens those he loves. 
So maybe right now you know him as a chastening rock. He's been telling you, hey, watch out, watch out, watch out. And you've run into him. And and that's okay because God's allowing you to run into him so that you can be changed. So you can be disciplined. Or, Or maybe right now you need him as the rock because the flood is rising around you. And sometimes this, this happens to me and, and I get rightfully chastened about it. I act like I'm the first person in human history that's had difficulty. <laughs> that, that, oh, the ends of the ages have come upon me. Mm. No, God, look at human history and you'll see that God has been the rock for people with all kinds of stuff. God has been the rock for Corrie ten Boom when she and her sister were in a Nazi concentration camp. And God has been the rock for people who are burned at the stake for their faith. And God has been the rock time and time. If God has been the rock for them then, please understand, God as a rock doesn't get eroded. Okay? God doesn't wear down over time. And so if he was the rock for them, then he's the rock for you. So God is our rock. And so, so I also want you to think about kind of the, the provision that comes out of the rock. Uh, on your own, you can read Exodus 17. Children of Israel wandering in the desert, complaining about water. God instructs Moses to strike the rock and water will come from the rock. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that that rock was Christ. So God is being the rock. There's this, there's a thereness, there's permanence, reliability, there's safety, but there's also provision. There's supplying there's saving, there's relieving. All of that comes from God as a rock. Now, this is very understanding. And please hear me when I say this, because you can say, well, he says rock too much. And I've already heard this, already know this, but please hear me. You are not the rock in your life. You're not it. And sometimes along the way, as we become kind of more mature Christians, we kind of begin to think that we're a junior partner in the Trinity yeah, I've really kind of got it going and I understand a lot of things and I've been used in ministry and well, I'm kind of like, you know, Lil Rock. No, you're not the rock in your life. Your spouse is not the rock in your life. Your job is not the rock in your life. The, the you know, even Dwayne Johnson is not the rock. Okay, in the ultimate sense, he's not. The Lord is the only rock. He is the only stable one. Your, your financial portfolio is not your rock. Your working out regimen is not your rock. God and God alone is your rock. He's the only stable one. And this is the thing. He can only, he's the only one who can be counted on at all times. Human beings can't be counted on at all times. Our wisdom, our ability cannot be counted on at all times, but God can. I, I love how the Lord settles the issue. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 44 verse 8. God says this. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Now, remember that God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. So if there was another rock, he'd know about it. <laughs> and he says, there's not any other one. But this brings incredible freedom to you and I, because now we don't have to pretend to be the rock. We don't have to try to be the rock. We don't have to like, oh, I'm just going to really stabilize myself so I can be the center of my universe. It's not going to work. God is the rock. And so instead of seeking to be a rock on our own, we go to him. We seek provision from him, safety from him, everything we need from him. Now, continuing on in the verse one, notice David's request. He says, do not be silent to me. David wants the Lord to speak for him. I'm sorry, to speak to him. David wants the Lord to speak to him. And that's a good thing, right? David wants the Lord to speak to him. But here's the problem. We say we want the Lord to speak to us. But I wonder in my own life, do I really want him to? Right, Because what happens, we love people speaking to us or things speaking to us if it's what we want. Right? I, I mean, I was trained from a young age. It's just kind of how I do life. You go into a, a quiet room, uh, I'm going to turn on the TV. 
Let it speak to me. And nowadays, it's really easy. I've got five seconds to spare. Let's see what's on YouTube, (laughs) right? Or let's scroll through the phone or let me put in, let me listen to something. And what so often we choose to speak to us, though, is what we want to hear. We want to be confirmed in kind of already these, these things that we want to hear. But if we ask the Lord to speak to us, he may say things to us that are uncomfortable. He may see things to us that we don't enjoy, that we don't want, that are going to need to cause changes in our life. And so what I want to encourage you and I encourage me to is to change it, not to say you can't ever watch TV again or listen to these. Kind of, no, no, not that. It's to change it simply this way. Desire for the Lord to be the primary speaker in your life. That, that I want the Lord to be the primary speaker in my life, the number one speaker. And then what happens, if he's the primary speaker in my life, any other voice, I can filter through him. I can filter through what he says and what he thinks and what he's doing. Because if he becomes the primary speaker, then all of a sudden perspective is going to be gained. All of a sudden, now I can begin to see life as it actually is. Now, continuing on here, he says, he says, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Okay, so this imagery here of going down to the pit, in a nutshell, it's kind of a death with disgrace, right? We, we all love the, well, I say we all, I, I, I would imagine you do, books and movies where there's a hero, right? The sacrificial hero. That, that sacrifices it all to get this thing done. And so that's, we understand kind of that death with honor. But David is saying, if you don't speak to me, if you're silent to me, I'm going to have a death with disgrace. And this is what happens to every life who refuses to listen to God. Then what happens? You become the equivalent of a spiritual zombie. You're walking dead. You're alive, but not really. Your life physically, but you're not being spoken to spiritually. There's no life coming into you. And then here's what happens. This is what happens even for the life of a believer. The Lord has really worked in your life. He's been speaking to you, but you've been ignoring him over time. And so the Lord will kind of let you just run out of gas. You kind of cruise for a while and then you're just going through the motions and nothing's really happening and you're not hearing from him. But it doesn't have to be that way. The the application for us is that we can actually hear from him. And I'm going to say it like I've said it literally thousands of times. The the number one way God wants to speak to you is through the written word. Is is come to the written word and I will give you a 100% guarantee that if you come with an open heart, God will speak to you. It doesn't matter where. It could be through Leviticus. God will speak to you through it. It can be wherever. So what happens is you begin to, to read the word of God, then God will speak to you. You say, well, I'm really busy. I don't always have time to sit down. Well, get an audio Bible. Just listen to where you go. And, and then on top of that, hey, listen to sermons. You know, you know, you're like, you have to endure this on Sunday. Find a good sermon series out there on the internet and, and listen to that. Listen to Christian books and audio books. And then I'm gonna give you a book that I'm encourage you to, to, to read, to listen to if you, if you like. It's a book that's changed my life. Like every book, other than the Bible, don't agree with everything in there, but I think it's incredibly helpful. It's called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And here's what I encourage you. If you really want to hear from him, if you say, I want him to be the primary voice in my life, God will speak to you through that book. There'll be changes that take place. And then kind of wrapping all of this, live expecting God to speak to you. When you answer your phone, you expect that whoever called you is gonna speak to you. You expect to hear from that person. And so it is. And we're going to see this in chapter 29 about God's voice. 
God can speak. God is perfectly able and willing to speak. The question for us is, am I willing to listen? And if you are willing to listen, he will speak to you. Verse two says, hear the voice of my supplications. When I cry out to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. A couple things to notice here. First of all, voice. When I hear the voice of my supplications. In other words, David verbalized his prayer. David spoke out loud. Now, there is a place for silent prayer. There is a place in certain situations that you're just praying within your heart. There are times where you may be so overwhelmed by life, you just can't get the words out. And it's just inside. And that's okay. But if you're anything like me, if, if you just only practice silent prayer, then what will happen is you begin to wander. You know, I don't know if your mind is anything like mine, but I'll be kind of like with the Lord. And then I'm like, man, would it be cool to surf in Hawaii? And then all, you're like all over the place. When you and I practice praying with direction toward God, thinking about the words that we're saying, pausing when we don't have something to say, and really thinking about that and then speaking those things out loud, it'll change, right? Because we've all been in situations, conversations where we are talking to someone else and neither party is listening, right? It's just, uh-huh, it's whatever. And we're gonna think about other things. And we've also been in those intense conversations where we're, we're focused in on each other and we're talking and then real relationship is happening. This is possible between you and, you and I. This is possible but between us and God. This can happen. Please understand that God is as present today as he was in the days of David. God is as present today as in the days when the apostles walked the earth. God is present to move, to speak, to have relationship with us. And so it's important for us to, to, to want to have that. Now, he says, I, the, the voice of my supplications. What's that word supplication mean? It means a request, but it's a request from an inferior to a superior. That's one of the most helpful things. I say most. There's a lot of most helpful things about prayer. But it, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that we're the inferior and God's a superior. Because if you're faithful in this life, you can climb the ladder. If you're faithful in this life, you can move up in your business. You can move up in, in whatever situation. And what happens with that moving up is you can begin to view more and more people as beneath you. And you begin to think, well, I'm, I'm pretty high. I have big stuff. When you pray, it reminds you that you're low. <laughs> it reminds you that God is far above. And so that's important for us. Now, this request from an inferior to a superior because of who God is, um, there, there's a, within supplication, there's an element of persuasion to it. I like that. There's, there's a seeking to persuade God to move in this way. And that's a wonderful thing. Okay, it's not about changing God's mind. It's, a, it's about really seeking to show him that this is important to me. I really want you to act on, this, on my behalf. I really want you to move in this person's life. And so, you know, supplication is not merely passive. Well, God, you know, if you could just save this person, that'd be great. If not, cool. And just move on. There's an element to it as God changes us into the image of Christ of really seeking to persuade him to move in this way. And supplications, again, they help us remember who we are in relation to who God is. Now, with that in mind, remembering who we are in relation to who God is, I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 for just a moment. Would you mind turning there? So turn right a little bit to Isaiah chapter 6. As you're turning there, um, this, this is a, a section of scripture that's been really important to me over the years. Uh, because what can happen in life is we can begin to compare ourselves with others. 
and then kind of get a big head about it. You know, when my kids were little, we used to play basketball in the front driveway. And I'm not going to lie to you, they, they usually lost. <laughs> you know, I, I could just really take them down when they were children. Okay. And then I would go up to the school, to high schoolers who play basketball. And it was real different. <laughs> Then I wasn't winning then uh, against people who were, you know, that, that's a better athletic talent than I was. Okay. And, and so that's what can happen to us spiritually. Spiritually speaking, we kind of look around and like, oh, I'm pretty good. And I kind of got it going on. And there doesn't really need to be a lot of change. And, and, and just quietly in God's gracious way, this is, what, this is what happens in my life. He brings to me kind of scriptures I've known for years and just shows me how I'm not obeying those scriptures. And then what I'll do is I'll kind of, I'll lawyer up. Be like, well, you know, it's not really what the scripture means. I don't really have to do it that way. That'll be fine. And then the Lord will cause me to run into him, and then I'll see things as they actually are. And that's what we have here in Isaiah 6. So as we get into Isaiah 6, you know, the, the nations turned against the Lord. Isaiah is this faithful prophet. And then I think it's safe to say Isaiah is basically the best guy in the whole nation. Okay, the most faithful He's kind of a kind of a you know like a, a Job, like he's the, the blameless one. Isaiah's an awesome guy. And so he could look around at all the people around him and be like, I'm better than all of them. But then what happens here in Isaiah chapter six is he gets he gets reset. Verse one, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, so here it is. Isaiah gets his vision of the Lord. He sees the Lord on this throne in the temple and his glory is filling it. And then he sees these angelic beings. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with one, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah is seeing this crazy thing. There's these angels with these six wings and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Overwhelming to Isaiah, right? And remember, Isaiah is a guy who, who thinks pretty highly of himself as is common. You know, when we kind of grow in the Lord, we, we think that we're better than we are. And notice, and the posts of the door were shaken and the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, so this is Isaiah speaking, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king of, have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Here's going to, what's going to keep us from coming to the Lord in prayer is we're afraid of one of these experiences. And maybe we don't verbalize it. And maybe it's kind of real deep down in our subconscious. We don't think about it. But if we come to, really come to God's presence, we're going to see us as we are. You guys ever done that? You've been into a, a hotel or a bathroom in a place and, and that there's that bad lighting and you get to see all the, stuff going on with you. Like, wow, I, how long have I been dead? <laughs> uh, you know. And so when we come before the Lord, we're going to see ourselves as we really are. And I'll just be honest with you because I've, I've had an experience like this of recent and it's hard to take. It is hard to take seeing yourself as you actually are. No, but here's the good news. If you and I are willing to do that, if you and I are willing to come before the Lord and see ourselves as we actually are, you realize that God doesn't crush us for no reason. 
So it's for something good. God wants to do something with it. So he doesn't reveal himself to Isaiah so Isaiah can just merely recognize how bad he is, how sinful he is, how different he is from the Lord. Notice what the Lord does next. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me and take his hand a live coal with which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. The Lord wants to reveal who we are to ourselves so he can cleanse us. So he can free us of that sin. He can free us of those wrong thoughts and behaviors and attitudes that have held us back, that have damaged relationships. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's willing to do. But it doesn't stop there at the cleansing. Notice, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. God reveals who we are, then he cleanses us, and then he commissions us. He offers us an opportunity and says, here's the deal. Now that I've cleansed you, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to go out and do my work. I'm looking for somebody who will listen to me and who share my truth with a fallen world. Will you do that? And Isaiah said, I'm here. I'll do that. But you see, Isaiah wasn't ready for this when he was still walking around thinking he was the man. It wasn't until he came into contact with the Lord the Lord revealed who he was, then the Lord cleansed him and the Lord commissioned him. And please understand that in your own life, God can give you an Isaiah moment. In your own life, God can do this. He's not gonna give you that same ministry, but he's the same God who did this and he can do the same for us. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and turn back now to Psalm 28 verse two. Continues on, he says, when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, there in verse two. And so I cry out to you again, this is desperation, right? This is, he's, he's desperate for God to hear from him. And then I love this imagery. He says, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And so I really view his holy sanctuary here as, as the heavenly sanctuary, okay? That he's reaching out toward heaven. That's how I view it. And, and so I think there's some really interesting things to consider with hands raised. And I wanna, I wanna kind of consider three things about raising your hands. Number one is we raise our hands like in worship, it's praise. It's not a touchdown, uh, but it's praise, okay? You're praising the Lord, right? But also when you raise your hand, it's a universal sign of surrender. Raising hands is the universal sign of surrender. It's saying, I, I don't have anything left. I don't have any defenses. I don't have any weaponry. I lay down my arms and, and I'm up to you. And then also another way to look at this is that when children want to be picked up, they raise their hands. So for you and I, if we can start our day raising our hands to the Lord in all those three ways, we raise our hands praising him, we raise our hands surrendering to him, and we raise our hands saying, maybe today's the day you're going to pick me up. Maybe today's the day you're going to take me home. And, and, and I'm ready for that. And I'll do what you want me to do today because that's all Jesus says for us to take care of. It's all Jesus says. He says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, take care of today. Seek first the kingdom of, of God and his righteousness today. And, and maybe today will be the day I pick you up. Today, maybe today will be the day I take you home. And so we look at all of these things and we see when we come to grips with who we are, the Lord reveals himself to us. He begins to speak to us. Then all of a sudden this world opens up to us and we realize this is what I was created for. This is what life is about. Verse three, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity 
who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. So David here, essentially, he doesn't want to suffer the fate of unbelievers. He's like, I don't want to be a part of them. And and here's the danger. This is how Satan is so subtle and how he works in combination with our fallenness and this fallen world system. It's we do this. I want all the benefits of being an unbeliever with none of the consequences. That's what happens to us, right? That's what happens. We live in this fallen world and we say, I really like to partake. And it just seems like all these unbelievers and they're having so much fun and they have so much freedom. And what we need to do is stop ourselves for just a minute and ask ourselves this simple question. If life was so good when I was an unbeliever, why did I become a believer? We need to take off those rose-colored glasses and look back and say, I was hopeless. I was in despair. I was lost. I was under my sins. Why would I want to go back to that? Why would I want to partake of that again? And so for us as believers, we need to be distinct from unbelievers. We need to be different. And here's why. We need to have different motivations because we have a different destination. Different motivations because we have a different destination. We're going somewhere different. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that you need to move away into the desert because you're actually already in the desert. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to kind of just cut yourself off from this world in every way. And let's, let's have some, you know, some, some Christian ghettos where we separate ourselves out and we never interact with anybody. And that's the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is to be about the Lord in the midst of the life that you live. Jesus Christ in everything is our example. Every single thing. And Jesus Christ, everywhere he went, he was about the Father. Everywhere he went, he was led by the Spirit. Everywhere he went, he was in the world, but he was not of the world. It's possible because the same Spirit that lived in Christ lives in you. Paul says we don't have the Spirit of Christ, but he also says we have the mind of Christ. We have the Word of Christ We have all of these things, so it's possible for you and I to live that way. But it has to take an actual decision on our part to say, I don't want to live like an unbeliever. Because you know what? You're not a friend to an unbeliever if you act like an unbeliever. Because what do you have to offer to a lost person if you behave like a lost person? What do you have to offer to someone who doesn't know where they're going? And when you say, I don't know where I'm going either. That's not helpful. When someone is lost, they need someone who knows directions, who knows where they're going. And it's possible for us. Verse four says, give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Now, David's basically saying here is, Lord, would you rightly judge the unrepentant? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so that's really important for us, right? Is, is God going to bring these things to an end? Is God going to judge, you know, people? Is, is God going to work this whole thing out? And he is, right? But it's going to be in his timing. And, and so I'm going to have you turn there real quick. Uh, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Because we kind of think about this idea of God judging unbelievers by their works. Okay. So turning there. Stay with me for this whole statement um, because you're going to want to leave because it's going to sound heretical for just a moment. Everyone who's ever lived will be judged by works. Everyone who's ever lived will be judged by works. But here's the, here's the thing. You get to choose whose works you'll be judged by. Do you want to be judged by your works or do you want to be judged by the works of Jesus Christ? That's the key. 
And that's what we see here in Revelation chapter 20. So this is a really important chapter for us to really think about, okay, with all the craziness going on and all the iniquity and evil and sin happening, is God going to ever bring it to an end? Is God ever going to judge it? Is it ever going to be over? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Revelation chapter 20. We've made it through the tribulation. We've made it through the millennial kingdom. It's right before the new heaven and the new earth. And we have the judgment of unbelievers. It's the great white throne judgment. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want want to paint this imagery for you in your head. This this huge room or whatever it is, expanse, we have this great white throne, and God has manifested himself there upon that throne. And there's all these unbelievers gathered there. And on one side, there's a single book called the book of life. And this book is open and all that's written in the book are names. That's all that's written in that book. And on the other side of the room or this expanse are these limitless bookcases with books. And these books have on their binding, the way that I see it in my mind, is the name of a person. And so the choice has been made during life on whose works you will be judged by, your own works or Christ's works. If you are judged by Christ's works, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your name has been written in that book. So please hear me, believer. If you are a born-again believer today, there is a book in heaven with your name in it. And, and, and heaven, please understand, is not some mystical, foggy place where we can't really find our way. Heaven is the seat of reality. Heaven is more real than anything you've ever seen or experienced, and your name is written in that book. Now, the bad news for these people who have refused that, they've chosen, as we see here in verse 12, to be judged by their own works, by the things that were written in those books. So as a book is brought down from the shelf and it begins to be read, surely there's some good things they did along the way, but we realize that the, ones, the standard for heaven is perfection. And so they begin to read all of the things they've done wrong. No one who's judged by their own works will be found worthy and they'll be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. And so we see clearly, and, and the reason why I spend some time on this is because I believe that if you can understand, if I can understand this and share this truth, this picture with people, this is, this is life. This is life and death, not only for now, but for eternity. And it should bring you and I great encouragement because now as the things that I'm saying to you on a Sunday morning, I'm not saying to you, hey, work harder so you can maybe have your name written in that book. No, it's your name is written in that book. So let's live our lives in such a way to get to know that God better, to become who we've been created to be, to live a life as a son or daughter of the most high. All right, let's turn back now, if you would. And don't worry, my eyes on the clock. We'll get through it. All right. Verse five says, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands, he shall destroy them and not build them up. 
And so you can read more about that. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You'll see the people who refuse to acknowledge God, refuse to submit to his works. Then God gives them over and then destruction comes upon them. So this is the reality. And so, so please, 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 please realize you don't, have to write the, you don't have to write all the wrongs of this world. You know, there's, there's a lot of sin and a lot of evil in this world that you and I, quite honestly, can't impact, can't change, can't do anything about. And so we, tr- we have to s- place our faith and tr- trust in the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of it. The, the Lord is going to do what he does. Verse 6 says, Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. David was assured that the Lord heard him. Please, 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 as you and I focus on prayer, realize God hears you. The, the night before Jesus was arrested, Jesus was given some instruction to the disciples and he says, to this, he says, guys, don't ask me to pray to God for you because God the Father himself loves you. So you talk to him. And know that if you come in my name, that means you, you come in kind of in, through me, that he's going to hear you. And so please understand that. Just because God doesn't answer your prayers or answer my prayers in the way that we want, doesn't mean he doesn't hear us. And he hears us. In fact, John tells us this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. Now, here's the funny thing, though, how it works. You're going to pray for things, and it's going to seem like God hasn't answered. And it's going to be like 15 years later, and he's going to be working that thing. And so I'm trying to rack my brain for kind of things I've been going through. Is like, when did I pray for this? A long time ago that God would do this thing. And, and so it's good. God, is, can, God hears us. Please understand that. Verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song, I will praise him. Okay, so the Lord is my strength and my shield. Notice the Lord is David's strength. David isn't David's strength. Okay, you are not your strength. Your job is not your strength. Your health is not your strength. Your intellect is not your strength. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your might. The Lord is your power. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, my dear friend, if you can say the Lord is my strength, you can bear anything and everything. You could bear a martyr's death if the Lord should be your strength. You and I can do absolutely anything God has called us to do if we lean on his strength. If we lean on our own strength, failure. (laughs) And to let him be your strength. But also notice he's not only our strength, he's also our shield. That means he's our protection. God is our protection. And it's a reminder for us as we think about God being our strength and our shield that our confidence should be in the Lord and not in ourselves. You know, that, that it's, if, you, if you and I are confident in ourselves, we're going to be continually disappointed. Because we're not going to measure up. And even if we do measure up, you know, at one time we get older. And then we don't measure up like we used to. And so, so I love this. Again, I want to take you back to Jesus. Let me read it for you. John chapter 5, verse 30. This is what the Lord Jesus said. Remember this. The, the only perfect human being to ever live. The only one who never sinned in word or thought or deed and action. Didn't sin in commission. Didn't sin in omission. This is what Jesus said. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 
You and I can't depend on ourselves because we can do nothing of ourselves. If Jesus could do nothing in and of himself, then you and I can't do anything in and of ourselves. So what's the key? To submit to the Father. You know, I should do the Father's will. Just do what he sent me to do. And what's going to happen is we're going to become who God has called us to be. We look longingly at these people from scripture and we say, oh, if only I could have lived back then. If only I could have become, been like them. You can be like them. Because the same God who empowered them to do what they did is available to empower you to do what you do. He, 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 now, now, this is not some self-help thing. You don't be like, oh, Steve's getting on new age on me. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not having an Osteen moment, Okay. What I'm saying is not to depend on yourself. You're not the champion. God is a champion. That you can't do it, God can do it. He is your rock and your strength and your shield. He can do these things, but you and I are stubborn. We want to do it ourselves. We want to do it our way. And I'm not going to submit to this thing or to that thing. And then if we would, if we would just say, I can of myself do nothing. Do whatever the Father sent me to do. I'm going to completely submit to him. I'm going to surrender to him. Then what's going to happen is people are going to see Christ more and more in us. And God's going to see Christ more and more in us as he forms him more and more in us. Now, continuing on here in verse 7, I love this progression. He says, my heart trusted in him and I am helped. And therefore, my heart rejoices and my song and with my song, I will praise him. Notice how it starts. It starts with trust. So here's the progression. If you and I want to get to God helping us and then, you know, rejoicing in the Lord and praising the Lord, it has to start with trust. A verse that I really struggle with in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice he doesn't say without, without faith, it's kind of hard to please God. No, no, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you and I can give our bodies to be burned. We can do all of these things in our own flesh. Without faith, God says, I don't, I'm not happy with it. It all begins with trusting the Lord, with faith in him. And then as we trust in him, then we're going to find help. Why? Because now we're on board with what he's doing. He's not, he's not helping us with our agenda. He's helping us with his agenda. And then what happens is we've trusted in him and we find that help. Now all of a sudden there's rejoicing because like, this is what I was built for. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then there's praise for what he's done. Verse eight says, the Lord is their strength and he is a saving refuge of his anointed. And so I just want to really focus on there, the saving refuge, because that word saving refuge is really cool. It means fortress full of salvation. (laughs) Fortress full of salvation. You know, so it's, so it's not, you know, Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. You know, we're just like, ah, oh, the, the enemies are at the gate and we're being oppressed and we're just kind of holed up. And no, 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 no. It's, it's on this high mountain. It's this fortress full of salvation. It's freedom. It's openness. It's hope. It's help. That's what the Lord is pointing us to. Because his ultimate saving refuge is heaven. And if you read the, the book of Revelation, the new heaven, the new earth, the gates are never locked. You know why the gates are never locked? Because there's no fear. There's no danger. Evil's been dealt with. It's over. And and so for you and I, we can experience this spiritually, even here and now, in the midst of all the craziness of this world, we can experience saving refuge. We can experience in the midst of the storm, staying upon the rock. We can, in, in the midst of whatever we're going through, our soul can be a fortress full of salvation. 
because the triune God has come to take residence in us. We can experience that. Verse nine, save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. And so just four words I want to bring out is deliver, bless, shepherd, bear them up. So deliver, right? Get them out of the situation, bless them, shepherd them, that's lead them, guide them, bear them up, help them as they fall. And so what you want to look at at verse nine, what I want to bring out is the Lord never grows weak or weary. The Lord never runs out of energy. He never has low blood sugar. He never has any of those things. The Lord is able to sustain us always, every moment. He's never become weaker. He's never changed. He's never become different. The same power that he displayed when he created the heavens and the earth with his voice is the exact same power available today. That, that's who he is. He's never changed. Psalm 29, we'll move through it quickly. Psalm of David, let's go through it in chunks. Verses one and two, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can take that apart at home, but here's the big idea. Recognize God for who he is. Recognize God for who he is. Worship him because he's worthy of that worship. Give him the glory and the praise that he deserves. But this will only happen as you and I get to know him. As you and I see him more and more, as he reveals himself to us, then we'll give him more glory and praise because we'll have seen him as he actually is. So, so for us, you say, okay, I want to be a person who gives God the glory he deserves, then spend time with him. Get to know him and you'll be able to do that. I love this worship the Lord here. It, it, that word worship, it really means worthy. It's this idea of, of someone being worthy. So giving the Lord the highest place. And then the beauty of holiness really speaks of the majesty of holiness. No one's going to get to heaven and say, I thought it'd be bigger. <laughs> oh, this kind of cool. Nothing like that. And so, but the thing is, you and I don't have to simply kind of just like, you know, kind of make our way through this world and say, well, someday I'll see something cool in heaven. We can begin to worship God now where we are. And begin supernaturally to see the majesty of his holiness. He can reveal that to us as our hearts are set on him. Verses three and four. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So that we see this repetition of God's voice over here. Because God speaking is the revelation of his power. It's the first thing we know about the Lord, right? From the beginning of scriptures is that God spoke, you know, it said, let there be light and let there be this and let there be that. And then it happens. So God's voice is power. He brings everything into existence by his voice. He hasn't stopped doing this. God can still move in this way and does move by his voice. Verses five through seven, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. What I get from verses five through seven is that the power of God's voice is unstoppable. Can't be stopped, right? And we understand this, you know, mankind is so silly. He just thinks he can do anything. Can't stop a tornado, can't stop a hurricane, can't stop these things. So you're going to stop the voice of God? <laughs> you're going to stop his power? 
And so just to remind yourself of kind of God's power, uh, you know, through speaking, you can read on your own Revelation 19. I think it's good to go back and read Revelation 19 constantly or regularly where the armies of the Antichrist are gathered together. They're going to take the Lord down. And it says the Lord Jesus killed them all by the word that proceeded from his mouth, the sword that proceeded from his mouth. In other words, he spoke all dead. It's over. The voice of the Lord is unstoppable. And so the, the, the imagery for us, or the, I would say, application for us is, if God's voice is unstoppable, then why do I keep resisting it? Why do I keep resisting what he says? He has spoken to me through his word, so let me just submit to his voice. Let me just do what he said to do, and let the consequences be what they may, but I can't stop his voice. I can't quiet his voice. Why would I want to? Let me just do what he says. Verses eight and nine. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. So we see here that the voice of the Lord can both create and destroy, creative and destructive for those who are against him. But then we see the response of those who believe. They, they say glory. They praise the Lord. And then verses 10 and 11, I'll just bring out a few things from here. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. A few things to notice. First of all, the Lord is over judgment, right? This, the flood was this picture of the whole world being judged. And where is God? He's above that. He's judging. So there is no judgment. There's no wisdom, understanding, or counsel against the Lord. He is the boss, and though everyone on planet Earth would turn against him and say, oh, we've changed the laws and we've changed the rules, it doesn't matter. He's above it all. So the Lord is always above and the Lord always oversees the judgment he brings. The next, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord's never going to be voted out of office. There's never going to be a revolution that overthrows him. The Lord is king forever. And that brings you and I great encouragement. Because no matter what happens to our lives, we live or die and, and whatever happens is we serve the king who's going to take us home. He's already delivered us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so that we know the day that we die, we're going to be delivered into that eternal kingdom. The day's coming. We're going to have a resurrected body that, that never grows old, that never fades away, that never hurts, that never bleeds. That king is king forever. So hitch your wagon <laughs> to the, the political party that's going to last. And that political party that's going to last, if I can use that terms, is the Lord God's party. Now, he says, the Lord will give strength to his people. We've already covered that, but it's his reminder, God wants to give you his strength. The reason why you're here today is God has given you his strength. The reason why your, your brain continues to function, that your heart continues to beat, your lungs continue to take in oxygen is because the Lord has given you that power. He's given you that strength. So God wants to give you not only physical strength, but spiritual strength to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. And then finally, the Lord wants to give you peace. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The scripture says that he will, this is a, this is a radical, radical promise from Isaiah. I can't remember exactly what verse, but you can look it up. It says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. That's a radical promise. That if you and I would keep our mind stayed upon the eternal king, that God would keep us in perfect peace. Radical, radical promises. And as long as I've taken here and I'm about to let you out, we've only scratched the surface of what God wants to do. 
I want to scratch the surface of what God is willing to do in our lives. So I'll leave you with these last two takeaways, and then we'll pray and close. Is number one, are we directing our prayers to the Lord? Not kind of just randomly kind of driving around, not thinking about what we're doing, just verbally spewing out words. But are we actually directing our heart and mind to the Lord? Realizing that we have the incredible privilege of having relationship with our creator, with our savior. And then secondly, are we trusting the Lord as the only source of power, the only source of strength, our only shield, our only rock? Because the moment we choose every morning to say, it's not my strength, it's not my power, it's not my agenda, it's not about me, this day is about you, then everything changes. And then we receive what we need to do what he's called us to do.